0: Welcome to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Ray, and Robert's here as well. I have arrived from the warp. I got swallowed by a
1: knight. It did things. Uh, So yeah, how's your knights coming along at this point? Well, when you look at the fact that I now have four big stompy ones and 11 little stompies and not enough bases, you run into an issue.
0: Yeah, they're a little too too big to be use the old quarter trick. You know, just put a little quarter under them and, or a poker chip and say it's a base.
1: <laughs> yeah, but um, the my opponent's all built up. I'm just waiting for my other box set to get here so that way I can build my Rampager and then I can build my Despoiler, the and then I can play my four big stompies and just have fun rolling dice and lose the objective game.
0: Sir, you think that's still the issue with them, or do they think they have enough firepower to blow people off objectives?
1: Oh, how much firepower they have is not going to matter to me. I am just going to be like, "Huh,
0: big stompy robots." Okay, there we go. It's a choice, not a, not a deficit. I understand. Sounds good to me, Ray. You're, you picked up a Maliceceptor just randomly. Oh, I one.
2: <laughs> uh, one of those little windows where the things are have been quote unquote sold out have it or at least listed as if they're not but uh, it's been sitting on pending for 13 days so we'll see how long it takes
0: interesting so set your watches now all time is measured in malicepter to ray so that's our new t- measurements of time so we got a big show for you tonight. Uh, we have six events. One, two, three, four, five, six events uh, from around the world to discuss. A few favorite lists to talk about. The new growing fan favorite uh, mid-table obscurity meta. So we'll be talking about that as well. As well as, of course, your ITC top ten. But first, your updates in the world of Warhammer as it relates to competitive play. Uh, if you like stats and if you like the ITC Battles app and you like Goonhammer, you can all shop at the one spot to get all that because apparently Goonhammer acquired both of those properties so I'm um, pretty excited about this Uh, I knew Goonhammer was getting some stats out of the ITC Battles app which I was trying to figure out how they did that but um, I'm curious to see so they'll be continuing to work with the app developer as we relaunch a new sleeker updated version later this year with even better functionality and more features look for that soon so gentlemen if there's a feature you'd like them to add what would that be um show me pretty pictures
1: button <laughs> <laughs> uh, reading numbers and everything can be helpful sometimes but when you look at excel spreadsheets it just it all gets jumbled together if you stare at it too long so having a I know people have made a a sliding chart where there's a baseline of 50% and then like a greened out area for acceptable win rates. Doing that kind of thing would be really, really neat to have it kind of like slide across where it's like, Oh, you pick ultramarines against this faction and it moves your icon to a certain percentage kind of thing. Hmm. But.
2: Yeah, I actually kind of agree on that. i less Excel, more PowerPoint.
0: I could see that. I kind of like the idea is um for example, if you pick a secondary cuz we've seen these several times already on the Kunham article, so I'm I'm choosing my secondary in the missions and it says, "Okay, you can, you know, the average player gets this many points." so you can see how well you're doing against the the average like so i type in my faction i type in i'm going to go for um engage in all fronts well the average player with that faction gets nine points on engage in all fronts oh okay so see how i do with this so it kind of gives you a little bit of references am i doing great or am i wow i am behind the curve on this particular mission so that i think that'd be kind of neat little feature
2: honestly when it comes to something like secondaries um I'd almost like to see instead of how many points a player using that faction gets, I think I'd rather see a, this is how many points on that your opponent gets when you're playing this army.
0: I would love that too. I don't know how you're going to input the other guy's army, but I would love to see that. And quite frankly, I saw that in a couple of the lists we were talking about. People are now printing that. So I think I'd ask, um, battle scribe to start doing that hey your army gives up this much for assassination this your army gives up this many points for bring it down that'd be really cool because that just speeds up the that analysis paralysis at the beginning of the game where the, your opponent just kind of goes i've never played this faction before what secondaries do i take uh
1: yeah like um I've gotten it ingrained in my head that with my current list of custodes, I walk up to the table and I look at them and go, All right, I only got three characters. I have 92 non character wounds. So you can get 10 points for no prisoners or 10
0: points for assassinate. Pick one. Yeah, pick one. So, no, I agree with that. So I think that'd be really helpful. So, yeah, I'm trying to be a better opponent and actually put that in my list and go from there. That's for the uh, 40kstats.com. Nice to see that finally getting updated. Um, Appreciate all the uh, work Peter Colosimo put into it. And I definitely can relate to the burnout because, um, yeah, uh, just trying to do this (laughs) weekly installment of the mid-table obscurity meta is, um, I can, (laughs) it's it's a headache and a half. (laughs) I'm glad it's popular.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The, the overall thing that 40kstats.com did for the entire player base is it gave a f- an initial step for us to actually have a solid idea because half the time, if you were to look at events, you're only looking at the events that you're planning on going to in your region. So like for the people in the Southwest, that's Scorched Earth Open, Bay Area Open, SoCal Open, like maybe Texas, like a very specific area. And that area might not have a matchup that's actually really bad for you. Whereas if you randomly go over to an event on the East coast and that's all they have, that's a matchup that you have zero idea of how to do. And your win rate is probably going to falter because you don't know things.
0: Minor little detail there, but yeah, that's pretty cool. And then you, so basically what you're saying is, is that, um, Daka, Daka, Daka did not have the, the most factual things going on there. <laughs> well, I mean, also it's called Daka, Daka,
1: Daka. It's, an, it's secretly an orc doing all the math. So we all know on the actual billboard, he has orc win rate at 1,000% because Daka, Daka says so. <laughs> uh,
2: and then uh, a little post
1: note saying it's actually this number.
2: <laughs> Except orcs don't recognize 1,000. It would be lots, lots of percent.
1: See, that's where you're wrong because it's a big mech and a big mech can actually count that high until he goes many. (laughs) I can relate to that, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a a step in the right direction with how people have accepted using the battles app as a digital bookkeeper and then 40 K stats being the go-to, Hey, how's my faction doing currently? Um, we have a local Admit player that is sarcastically cheering that he has a twenty four
0: percent win rate. So, <laughs> yeah, I can tell you when I did the mid table obscurity. I think there were four armies like played total <laughs> this weekend. Yeah, three of them made it to the mid table, and there was like probably like five total. I think for the whole weekend. So pretty sad. So. <laughs>
1: but it is at least a step in the right direction. So that way people can stay on top of things. Like obviously Tyranids have a really high win rate right now overall. And with whatever changes may come, that win rate may go down and other things may go up. Who knows? So I don't know if any of you guys can hear me. Cause I think the warp just ate all of us for about maybe two seconds. For about two
0: seconds, but we're back. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, it just, it
0: was silence. Yeah. It <laughs> <Yep>. silence. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Maybe that's our cue to move on. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so so there was very little 40K contact, plenty of 30K contact. And um, so we've already kind of beaten that horse to death. But, um, and uh, the more I look, the more I kind of go, eh. Okay. Other than I'm mad I'm still looking at my I have two Sicarian battle tanks from Forgewell that I need to put together, and now they're in plastic. I'm kind of like, damn. <laughs> you don't even
2: play a space range faction, though.
0: Well, technically they're going to be uh, Black Legion, but anyway... <laughs> And, and it's
1: the rule of cool factor, Eric. You have the resin models. That means you're just that much cooler
0: than the other guy. Well, I hope so. <laughs>
2: you, you, you can be that guy. The guy who bought it before they were plastic.
0: Yeah. Back when it was, my goal was to jump on a uh, Skyfire Nexus so I could blow out somebody's uh, flying hive tyrant. But that's, that's how long ago I bought them. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the Only real 40k news since our last show was uh, a brief look at the armory uh, of the League of Votans So, the whole thing that they're really uh, doing here is the, and I quote, the ancient mines are a vast repository of weapon schematics that have just about every member of the Adeptus Mechanicus weighing upon the merits of becoming heretic. The kin, as you see, are sitting on a closely guarded network of functioning STCs. Effect reflected across their entire armory, and as a quick look of it, it looks like a um, who's who of Nerf guns. Uh, all those shapes and stuff. I'm like oh, I've seen those at Toys R Us. It's interesting, but um, there's a lot of neat little puns in there. Uh, the armories, uh, their engineers are called uh, brok- Brokers. B R O K H Y R S command the auto founders of each kin uh, found in their personal anvil terminals and it's A-N and then V-I-L so just keeping with the dwarf theme there. Now unfortunately no new rules uh, per se have been announced but um, supposedly they are armed with Volkite disintegrators uh, including Ion Weapon which is the uh, Adeptus Mechanicus said no thank you apparently Tau said we'll be more than happy to help you with that and the only thing that they really um, talked about in terms of rules, which we can assume is that uh, the haptic utility nerve transmission recalibrating modules, otherwise known as the Hunter for short interface with their neural augments to establish a feedback loop look between the firearms and the users, uh, allowing them to maintain a stable f- firing platform while running at full pelt or zooming along on a flying trike. So I guess my, what I interpret from that is they can move and shoot with heavy weapons without the minus one. Probably. So there's some pretty wild stuff there. Um, Ecteran plasma gun, ectarin plasma pistol, graviton blast cannon, conversion beamers, um, ion blaster bolt shotgun. looks pretty cool. The Volkite disintegrator looks cool all around pretty, pretty wild stuff. Uh, I get the impression it's, um, Marines
1: with Tau weapons. Is this what this coming? My my opinion is very much wake me up when they actually start showing rules because of the fact that I want to be like, why are these are not dwarves? They are not angry enough.
0: Right. They did drop a small hint about their close combat weapons. And the one that got my attention here, they make substantial use of plasma fields, either to augment the blades or extend them while concussion weapons like hammers and malls mount mass drivers to really make an impact. I was like,
1: Ooh, that sounds kind of cool. So swinging with lightsabers and swinging with thunder hammers. Hmm. Yeah. So,
0: but I'm with you as well. It says, oh, this is all fine and dandy, but I'm still waiting for a demons codex. I'm still waiting for chaos space Marines, I'm still waiting for Astra Militarum. I'm still waiting for an FAQ for a couple books. Bray's <laughs> still waiting for his Malicepter.
2: You know,
1: just, just we're wait, we're a lot of hurry up and
0: wait. Am I right? It seems that way. So,
2: so are we really down to the final four codexes?
0: We're down to the final four. Yep.
1: And it is definitely because let's see, they've, Touched every single Xenos one outside of um, Leagues of Votan because I would technically qualify those as a Xenos one because they're not officially Imperium or whatever it may be, <laughs> but so it's,
0: I'm going to say it's an Imperial Guard next. Actually, I'm going to challenge you on that. I got the impression they are an Imperial Codex. You think they, they're they outside of the Imperial uh
1: probably because of the fact that their their technology that they have is very much out there and a lot of Xenos tech might be applied to it. Okay. Or maybe it's the other way around where it's a lot of Xenos tech apply with Earth tech applied to it. So like reverse engineering. But I mean who am I to judge imaginary lore of an imaginary faction that I'm yeah. not going to play? <laughs> yeah, I don't see myself.
0: I'd be curious about, yeah, I kind of want something a little more concrete, but I also kind of want the other stuff out first. So get that out playing. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So, mm-hmm.
2: Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook.
1: But we got, like, you said six events, right?
0: We do. So looking forward to that and getting it. So let's get started. Uh, our first event is actually a super major in Marriott England, otherwise known as the Birmingham Super Major. And when I say super major, it, it's probably, probably one of the largest uh, we've seen in England, at least so far this year. So I'm very excited to see oh, wow. it. Wow! Yeah,
1: yeah, 276 people. That's a that's a lot okay. of signups. <laughs>
0: So what's our top? I believe they had a top cut. So tell me a little bit about the top cut and uh, uh, who our eventual winner was. Well, the top
1: cut um, starts with fourth place is Julio Cesare Gramandi. Hopefully I pronounced that entire thing right because that was a mouthful. At least it's not the, the Scandinavian names from like last week.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was well done though, by the way.
1: That was a lot of fun. Um, with just Drukari. So not a specific as far as I and I'll leave that to you to read, Eric, to see if it's anything specific. In third place, we have Nathan Whit Whitbeard. Wit wit bread. Uh, Whit, <laughs> I got, not
2: not wheat. not not wheat, Whitbread. bread. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wit bread. I have pirates on the brain. Um, with tyranids. Then we have Danny Evison with also tyranids and David Gayard with also Tyranids because High Fleet Leviathan. So it looks like um, Nathan and Julio got paired into David and Danny respectively and then got knocked out in Top Cut, so that's why they only have five wins. So they went 5-0 and oh that weekend. Well, 5-2 and two or 1, however the number works out. <laughs> and then Danny with... A six and one, well five and one, and then David with a six and oh, the top cut the way it's laid out on BCP, is a little hard for me to read. They should just kind of like make it a single record.
0: Yeah, it's a little odd. So what happens is if you look at it, if you look at the fifth place person for example, uh, you and Bedford Cooper, he finished it with five wins, and you're like, oh okay, but he just missed the cut, and then jumps up to Julio who's in fourth place with no wins. So yeah, he had no wins, I guess, after he made the top cut. So it's a little hard. you to kind of backtrack to see how he did. So, a yeah.
1: But um, there's a clear showing that Tyranids are currently the strongest book in the game with a resounding standing of the first one, two, three, four, five, six places. And then the tenth place Person all playing Tyranids. So
0: that kind of gives you a sign of the times right at the moment. So,
2: yeah.
0: Just a quick rundown of some famous faces that didn't make the top cut. Conrad Barkowitz, who's uh, believed to be the best Soriani player in all of Europe, uh, coming in seventh. Uh, Jason Seaborn coming in ninth for Jay, who uh, was working his way up the ladder for the ITC last time we spoke, trying to dismantle Manny Chima from his church, came in 15th, excuse me, 14th. And Dom Maidlaw, you may recognize him from Real Space Raiders podcast. He actually is playing Harlequins now, and uh, came in 18th place.
1: But quite a showing for a lot of people, and as you start looking at the top, once you get into like the top teens, so 13th onward, that's where you start really seeing like the mix-up of armies. Like There's a thousand suns up there, White Scars. Um, a golf player actually made it into 16th. Like The meta is still diverse enough that armies can still play into each other, but as soon as you hit into the Tyranid wall, that's kind of the make-or-break thing. Like Can yep. you beat Tyranids? If you can, then you'll be fine. If you can't, then you're going to be stuck in mid-tables for the rest of your event. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: And we'll get into that a little bit later in the show, what that looks like if you're stuck in the mid tables. All right. Let's head stateside. Never forget the Alamo, or for that matter, at least the Alamo GT.
1: Yep. It was a grand old time. These are people that partnered with the Dallas Open a few weekends ago to help donate some terrain to their tables. It was like maybe three or four tables. Iconic piece of terrain is the gigantic Alamo face that <laughs> goes in the middle of the table. Wonderful piece of terrain,
0: but <laughs> Did that <take> sarcasm there. <laughs> um, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I do like the idea of the theme terrain. Cause one thing I do really like about it. You look at the pictures. You're like, I know exactly what that event that is. Because that's one thing, mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of the pictures from the events, they like, oh, they're in a hotel ballroom, <laughs> and there's there's random terrain on the table. It, you can easily tell. Yep, yeah, well, I know exactly which event that is. That's, we're in Texas. So.
1: Yep, but the, the top ten look something like this. Jeff Patak with Grey Knights, Michael De Hoyas with Eldari, Nathaniel Björge with Tyranids. Jamis Thane with Harlequins. Josiah Cook with Tyranids. Matthew Ollie with Thousand Sons. Clifton Murica Russell um, <laughs> with Tyranids. Um, Colin McDade, a name that gets dropped on this podcast a lot, with Tyranids. He, he moved on com- from clowns. Yes, he did.
0: Stop not clowning around anymore. Um,
1: Jason Manning with also Tyranids. And taking it, it was a passing off of the clown costume, I believe. Um, Bryce Chapman with Harlequins.
0: Yeah, so Colin and Bryce actually fought on the final table for um, Supremacy. The winner of that match obviously went on to win the game. And there was, um, I guess, a misunderstanding. Uh, there's a little thing going on there and with the time clock. And so the game is available to stream from, I believe, War Games Live. And um, actually, I'm going to double check that while we're talking. Ray, you've had a chance to look at some additional sources as well. Uh, summarize kind of what happened there.
2: Okay, so the the initial thing that at least I heard was the fact that Bryce made an argument when he had basically run out of time during the fifth round of the game, at the fifth round of the tournament, um, that he should be basically be able to play more. Um, he did so as I was told um, continuously, basically um, put, put pushing it, you know, put pushing his opinion on it. And Colin eventually decided, okay, fine, whatever. Basically. <laughs> uh, so they went ahead and continued playing despite Bryce being out of time and in eventually won. now there was a lot of discussion both in i mean our play group and in the competitive facebook um, facebook discussion page else uh, but later uh, this would have been uh, probably about eight or nine hours ago there was one person who it, I, I didn't catch whether they said that they were there or if they heard from someone else, but it said that when it came to measuring out the deployment zones, they were supposed uh, supposedly it was all done on while Bryce's clock was ticking.
1: Yeah. I think I saw the the same post where there was essentially a breakdown of where all of the time may or may not have gone that Bryce lost out on. So yeah, it was something like three minutes had been spent on de- measuring deployment zones on Bryce's clock. Then it got washed out by something else and some other stuff got, it was a whole bunch of chess clock stuff happened. And whether or not the clock got turned into a weapon or not is completely up to a personal opinion because
0: most of us weren't there. So yeah. Yeah, the person who's actually posting this way, the way I'm reading his post is he's watching the war games live video and he's actually doing the chess clock himself and, and watching it. So it's again, another, and it's their opinions, as good as ours at this point. So take it with a grain of salt and that the deployment time, as, as Ray mentioned, uh, went three minutes over that being said, um, it becomes a wash because, uh, at the end of the game, uh, Bryce actually got extended time after the argument ensued. And so he actually got his time back towards the end. But uh, more time was then added on as they continued to play. And that was enough for Bryce to get the win. So, again, watching it, it was awkward at best. And um, the only thing I can think of is if I was in Collins' shoes, first of all, I applaud him for having a cool head because um, in the situation, Bryce got pretty um, demonstrative in the approach. And then the second thing I'll add is uh, maybe give a couple warnings ahead of time. Hey, start of the round, uh, you got twelve minutes left, you know. You, and if he's uh-huh. like, "Yeah, dude, I got this," like, all right, cool. And okay, now you are out of time. You go. You got five minutes left. Two minute warning. Now you are out of time. Um, yeah, it seemed like Bryce was ready. He had that conversation ready to go in his holster and was not going to make a did not care that he was going to run out of time he was going to browbeat his way into finishing the round no matter what
2: i've got a question if you don't mind me asking absolutely Uh, so that that's how player eric would go about things how would to eric go about this
0: so there are two things i would go about this and um i don't want to come across as like on the be all end all of tos absolutely not because i've made this mistake uh a few other uh events already but one of the key things especially because it's a larger event correct me wrong how many people were at lmo gt it was 116 people signed up okay so one of the things you definitely want to do as a to is make several rounds Um uh, I am not, you know, sitting down is not an option as a TO. You're working the tables and I try to go, even though I make an announcement over the intercom, I want to go to each table and make sure that, hey, 15 minutes left on the round, 12 minutes. Now, one of the key things that gets a little murky with that is while well, we're going off chess clock, not off of the round timer, I probably, you know, I try to do, uh, what's the word? Um, is it passive judging? Yeah, passive judging. Thank you. Okay, I couldn't remember that. So if they bring me in and go, we need to settle this dispute, um, great. Uh, That's something. But if I look at the clock and I see, hey, this guy's on this chess clock, same way is if I see them making a mistake, the passive judging approach is not for me to jump in and go, hold up, both of you. He's playing that wrong. Um, Different TOs have different opinions. But uh, passive TOing has sort of been become more the, the staple at this point. And um, I think the worst thing I want to do is jump into a game and make a mistake even worse. You know, like, oh, that's not right. And I find out I was wrong. So mm-hmm. if I'm invited, I come in and I try to settle it fairly and, by, and show, my, show my work. And this is where I found the rules. So let's say, so that's my first problem right off the bat. These guys seemed like they were settling it. And they didn't settle it. They, they, there was a miscommunication somewhere down the line that whether you think you have two, three, four, eight minutes left, some that needs to be cleaned up before the clock hits zero. So now let's say to to raise point. All right, T O Eric, you're now being called over after the fact. Time has run out. How do you want to work this through? I'm going to assume I don't have the benefit of watching a tape, nor would I do that in a tournament. Let's stop the tournament for a second and watch the last 90 minutes and see what's going on there. And um, so, one thing I would look at is: okay, I believe Colin had nine minutes left uh, at that point. So, or this, and I think Colin even alludes to it on the tape where he says something to the effect of, "We had this much time left in the round." I would said, okay. <laughs> There's, let's say, there's nine minutes left in the round, according to the round clock. Uh, Chase, okay, half belongs to Colin, half belongs to you. You've got four and a half minutes finish your turn. If both players agree, that's great. If not, hey, you need to manage your clock. Now, with hindsight, being uh, at least eighteen out of twenty at this point with the tape, um, I've I've not seen it. I, I'll, I should no, I'm not going to comment on that. I'll say, I'll say, I watched the last twenty minutes of the game. I did not watch it from start to finish, so I don't know. But um, I definitely would say there's no slow play. I don't think there was... Uh, and um, there was definitely some decision-making, and I would be doing the same thing if I was on my top table and going against somebody as formidable as Colin. My bigger issue is is the crap. I got stung by the clock. And the, if I had an issue with Colin or my opponent in general, flipping the clock back and forth, I would have brought it up sooner than when I ran out of time.
1: Yeah, the the flipping clocks back for saves, like, it's different when, okay, it's a, like, you roll three shots, two hit, one wounds, one save. Okay, that's going to take literally two seconds to roll a die. Boom, that's done. But if it's something like, oh, here's, 30 shots with 20 hits and 15 saves. That's definitely a moment of bunk your time your saves go.
0: Right. And you should probably a that to your player. Okay, I'm going to put it on your clock for saves.
1: Mhm. And, and also <laughs> and also the the one thing that people if they're going to use a chess hawk, they need to be diligent about it because this happened to be once, I'm not going to say who, and I'm not going to say what event because it's passed and done and over with <laughs> the player pulled out a chess clock, turned it on, but never put it to the set time as if he might have forgot to set it. And when he turned on the clock, he let it run upwards oh. from, from zero. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's his clock operator error. Holy cow.
1: So that was a, um, Okay, we each have like an hour and 15 minutes or whatever, like let, let's just go. Like let's let's play. Right. And yeah, make sure your clock is set, people. Just yep. Yeah. Don't you be know, just be, don't be a dummy about it.
2: Yeah, you know, that was kind of the first thing I did. So I when I ordered a chess clock off of eBay, the first thing I did is I set it up to count down.
1: Yep, that is the best piece of advice that we can give about chess clocks, but again, I I really do applaud Colin for being as level-headed as he sounded about the whole entire thing, and as it, it cost him the win by a measly three points, but honestly, it would have been better to just keep a cool head and discuss it calmly with the judges about it instead of Letting Bryce take back that time. Let the judges make the final decision at that point.
0: The thing I would recommend is a, a tactic I learned from my, my brief encounter with War Machine at Nova. I was a I was a painting judge, and I, I got to learn learn what competitive War Machine looks like up close. Uh, one of the things they had was um, I know they still do, and uh, guys can message, message us on Facebook if uh, I'm wrong on this. Their version, like say, so currently with. 40k 2000 points you play with two hours 45 minutes per player or something like that they had these other like uh crazier tournaments where you're still playing with 2000 points but we reduce the amount of time you get so these guys were like going speed mode it was really forcing you to learn your army and play the game at a higher speed as we get closer to turn major tournaments i tend to practice that way so like you said, not only do I make sure the clock is counting down, but I also reduce time in my clock. So I get so if something like this happens, I get you know I take into account the the unfamiliarity of being at a tournament in a strange hotel, uh, not getting as so much sleep the night before as I normally do, so I can play the game in a shorter amount of time. And uh, I highly recommend that as well. Practice with the clock, uh, and then start practicing with less time. So um, when things pop up like this, you're not caught off guard. Mm -hmm. but that was the Alamo GT.
1: It was a great showing out in Texas. And I I think it's time for all of us to move a little bit more, a little more North here,
0: right? A little more North. So my favorite hockey team is also in the Alberta classic. For those of you who don't know, the Calgary flames are playing the Edmonton Oilers. These are diehard rivals from the 1980s when I was in high school and uh, notorious for thuggery, high scoring, uh, hockey. And for the first time in like 4,000 years, they're finally playing each other in the playoffs again. But we're here to talk about 40K. It's the Alberta Classic. Equally exciting. Very excited to hear this. Tell us about the top five there.
1: All right. Well, the top five was Steve Carr with Adeptus sororitas Top four was Lane Stanquist with Harlequins. Third place was Corey Burns, also with Harlequins. Second place is Ozzie Malouche with Harlequins. Oh, and first place is Riley Tremblay with Osir Yanni. Let's see how many clowns he had, shall we? Fred, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we had Seer Council, Karandas, That's a name I haven't seen in a while. Um, Eldrad, a couple of rangers, Dire Avengers, Banshees, Scorpions, Shroud Runners, a Nightspinner. And then was he playing entirely old way? Yes, he was. Okay. <laughs> um, another Seer Council, Baharoth. That's three Phoenix Lords. No, two.
2: Konix Skittles.
1: Because <laughs> yeah, Karandros, yeah, Karandros, and then is Not a Phoenix Lord. I mean, I'm in. Like, I'm a goof. Um, but yes, Baroth, a Farseer Skyrunner, Shining Spears, swooping Hawks, a couple of Vipers, Windriders. So absolutely zero clowns. Interesting.
0: Sure, that- one thing I'm seeing with a lot of the um, Asuriani players that we're going to talk about this week, it seems that the trend is they are skewing command points for Outrider detachments. So, for example, at this, this is, oh, well, it's at our upcoming event, so I won't talk about that. But you're seeing that they're just up, you know, front loading those fast attack choices as much as possible.
1: Mm hmm. I mean, at this point, I expected Eldar to be kings of the movement game, and they are very much proving that, that being fast and being hard to pin down is just as good as blowing your opponent off the table. Indeed. So...
0: So before we get to our next event, we got to talk about our next event. That's right, folks. September 9th, and t- excuse me, 10th and 11th uh, in Mesa at the Bell Bank Park Fieldhouse C. That's a season cat. The Smite Club 40k open will be there. Available, all, tickets are available now through PCP. So again, that's September 10th and 11th in Mesa, Arizona. It's 128 player space, six rounds, GT, Uh, more details to come, but check out both on BCP as well as our website. You can find all the information there. Tickets have already been on sale and we're already uh, setting up quite a brisk pace. So hope to see you guys there. Yep. It's probably going to, be a good
1: old time and who knows maybe imperial garden demons will be out by then
0: absolutely you can purchase your tickets through uh, www.smiteclub40k.com again smiteclub40k.com tickets are available through there as well as swag bags and merchandise as well as all the information you need for the player packet so once again smiteclub40k.com so hope to see you there on september 10th and 11th I'm super excited for this venue. This venue looks amazing. I'm really excited.
1: Yep, I'm probably going to look it up after we are done recording today to see exactly what it is. But I think we have to go to the Mayhem GT first.
0: We do. I was very excited about this event. There's some really cool lists in this particular event.
1: Yep, like seeing who took this one is rather informative. So, Ray, if you would actually want to take this one to make sure the warp didn't eat you.
2: Yep. <laughs> All right. So, top five. Fifth place. Frank. Vir- Virouette playing High Fleet Leviathan. Fourth, Robert Hawkins playing Harlequins. And third, we've got Alex Ramsey playing uh, Assyriani. Second, Mike Twitchell playing what's listed as Knights Renegades. And, and first, Michael Walsh playing Adeptus Sororitas.
0: So those are two names we've not seen the top of lists in quite some time. Yeah, and I have to laugh at
1: looking at the um, what is actually Chaos Knight's list. Um, <laughs> it hurts my eyeballs because it's literally a picture of an Excel spreadsheet.
0: <laughs> yeah, on his computer, it's like they got the stream flicker on the whole nine yards. So I'm like, dude, come on.
1: But um, since this is the first time we've seen Chaos Knights come out. Anywhere near the top table since their new book. This is very much what I thought would happen. There is a grand total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen 10, 11, 12, 13 armagers.
2: Did, did he do oops, all armagers?
1: Yep, it's all little knights.
2: And I'll say, uh, so part of the re- I'm sure part of the reason it's an Excel spreadsheet is the fact that Battlescribe has some glitches when it comes to the Chaos Knights Codex when building a list. And go figure, so does the forty K app. So neither of them work well for actually building lists right now. That being said, what he probably should have done is learn how to use the print screen ability on the computer as making a picture with the phone
1: um I, I will have to counter you on that because i'm act i built my list for chaos knights in battle scribe and it actually works perfectly fine i haven't run into any hiccups yet
2: have you tried equipping the um i believe it's called the veil of Mendarin guard
1: no because i'm playing an in infernal house so just like um mike was but instead of playing Corvax, which is the one I plan on doing, he was doing Vextrix. But we can talk about lists later
0: because I can ramble about that for days. Yeah, the top list was also very interesting, being uh, Sororitas. So, taking a quick look at this. It's a uh, Order of the Bloody Rose featuring a Repentia Superior, a Canonist, as well as Morgan Vaugh, two units of Battle Sisters, Sisters Novatat, whatever, the new ones from uh, Kill Team, two Crusaders... A dogmata that's the like chaplain thing, right? Yeah, the chaplain sister. Yep, yep, hospitaller. Three units of sister repentance, two units of eight, one unit of four. In the fast attack slot, you've got a seraph squad, looks like to be five strong. Uh, two zephyrin squads, also five strong. And then the heavy support slot, this really caught my attention a castigator, and then two mega units of uh, Retributors. I can say that quickly. One, two, three, four. That's just only five, just a lot of, but all with multi-meltas. And then last Uh but not least, a Rhino. (laughs) Don't forget (laughs) the Rhino.
1: (laughs) Yep, it is very much the idea of what Bloody Rose used to do back when we saw them actually performing hardly well, back when they could soup with a second flavor of sisters. It's, you have your all of your multi-meltas, because that's two, four, six, eight shots for each unit of retributors with a, they both have a cherub, so they have, well, they each have two cherubs, so they each can double shoot twice per game. And then the handful, the um, the Superior has the Ministorm Hand Flamer, and then you have a single a Simulacrum with a bolt gun, so you have access to the Holy Trinity Strat for both units, which I think is something like plus one to wound or something like that. Um, the Castigator is a random, though. Normally, you would see that for something like um, an Emulator or something else like that. But, I mean, sh- they brought a Predator.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was shocked. I was like,
0: okay, then.
1: But uh, congrats to, let's see, get his name right here, Michael Walsh, for taking that event with Sisters. We haven't seen Sisters perform that well in a very, very long time. Yeah, very cool to see that.
0: All right, we move to uh, lovely Massachusetts for the Warhammer Retreat.
1: Yep, and it's specifically the Warhammer Retreat 2022, five games, two days. Um, Did they sleep? I don't think they slept. No. <laughs> um, but the top five is Curtis Bargender with Eldari, William York with High Fleet Leviathan, Colin Burns with Adeptus Dorotas, Jared Vale with Harlequins, and then Daniel Woolmouth with Osiriani.
0: You don't get more of Massachusetts sounding name than Daniel Woolmouth. So congratulations. Uh, <laughs>
1: yep. And this is actually an interesting trend I've seen across multiple of the events. Um, The second place person has gotten multiple perfect scores and then a single loss. And the guy above them is all just right around 88 and higher. (laughs) So as long as you don't drop a game, you might be able to take it from people. (laughs) It's an interesting way of looking at it,
0: too. Yeah, you're right. So wins a win you know just kind of worry about the scores Mm -hmm. later especially with these larger events when you're guaranteed one undefeated player will win so
1: yep and then rounding out all of our events um have you found the warhound titan yet because i don't think i have
0: let me see if i can find that for you
1: oh i believe that's at the game grid that's correct yeah it was a really bad joke and a really bad transition, but I couldn't resist
0: myself, Eric. I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> oh, for that hook, line, and sinker. Thank you. Specifically, it's in Lehigh, Utah. So wonderful this time of year.
1: Yep. Um, it's much better than Arizona being like 104 outside at like 10 in the morning. Um, but avoiding the heat down here, our fifth place guy is David Johansson with Osiriani. Fourth place is. Osias Aduna with Iron Hands. Third place is Nicholas Winker with Against Chaos Knights. Yes. Um, second place is Jordan Gledhill with Adeptus Sororitas. And first place is Scott Rumpel with The Angry Space Wolves.
0: Yeah, some notables that were also at this particular event who didn't make the top five. Uh, Right off the bat. So David Johansson actually is a former Scorched Earth uh, champion. Uh, Rich Kilton came in seventh with Death Skulls. Lee Harris, who actually won the most recent Scorched Earth Open, came in eighth. And uh, moving further down, Lou Rollins, who's a hobby uh, fanatic, coming in 17th with Death Watch. And a little further down, but uh, Thomas Higstrom Oki with Imperial Knights. Uh, Looks like he did not attend the first day, only came day two. And uh, I'm just shocked what happened to the blood Angels. <laughs> but yes, he's playing knights as well.
1: So so it actually does look like um, he got he had an opponent in round two against a person named Charles Metz who brought Eldar. But um, yeah, no, he didn't have opponent in round one. He didn't have an opponent in round three. He did not have an opponent in round four, but he had an opponent in round five. so maybe Thomas was their ringer.
0: Might be the case. So, anyway, glad to see him back on the table. Last time I saw him, he was judging at LVO. So, um, he's a fantastic player and an even better hobbyist. So, great to see him back in the game.
1: But yes, how long has it been since we've seen Space Wolves be anywhere up near the top?
2: I don't remember a first time.
1: (sighs) Well, across all of that looking at the actual list, it is um, it is a custom chapter. So it has the Master Artisans and the whirlwind of Rage. So a whole bunch of melee marines is what it sounds like to me because that's a lot of Wolfguard. That does sound a lot like a Wolfguard. <laughs> Any other wolves uh, 15 of them to be exact. Hmm. And then a couple of Cyberwolves, some Skyclaws, a single illuminator squad, and then there they are. There's the fire base. The unit of one, two, three, four, five, six long fangs with five multi multis. Oh my god! It's two thousand
0: six all over again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. And a singular drop pod, which I can only assume is carrying the long fangs.
0: Oh my goodness!
2: Wow. A uh, quick point of contention. 2016, Eric.
0: Thank you.
1: <laughs> but yes, it, it it does very much look like the Armour of Contempt meta. Unless you are playing Tyranids, it's going to be a lot harder to shift stuff like Sisters and Space Marines, so they can actually perform a little bit better. Not enough to take down bugs, but definitely enough to handle some pointy ear elves.
0: That's right.
2: Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR Cases. If you're like me, and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your uh, armies, then look no further than KR Cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. So just swap out those boxes, and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy. The boxes help protect your models, and if you, when you order, they come fast. The order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So, go to krcases.com, and when you place your order, be sure to mention the exterminatus podcast.
0: Which makes a perfect transition to what does the meta look like at the lower table? So let's look at that mid-table obscurity. For those of you not familiar with this uh, particular segment on the show, what I do is I go through each faction and measure the amount of times one of their factions went either 3-2 and two or 2-3 two and three at a large event. Uh, over the weekend, and then figure out which of those armies are most prevalent in those mid table uh, striations. And although, um, yeah, armor content is definitely making their uh, push, Marines actually came in second. So out of the 345 armies that competed in larger events that went either 3 and 2 or 2 and 3, 28 of them were power armor. Uh, interesting enough, the number one army need to worry about in the mid tables right now is Tau. Uh, 37 out of 345, so this is a little over 10% of, your, of the armies being played in the mid tables is Tau. So Tau, Marines, then Nids, so you can avoid them, but they're not quite as prevalent as you see on the top tables. Followed closely behind by uh, Grey Knights, and then finally your Aldari friends uh, with all their nifty little tools coming in fifth. So you can find a way to uh, kill armor content crisis suits, and carnifexes, you can get yourself to the top table.
1: <laughs> yep. And this is a very much a noble mission for the fact that they're fresh into the meta with a new book, looking through the looking through all the chaos night stuff. It is very much still a unsolved book because I've seen several Iconoclast houses. I've seen several Infernals. and But the one staple thing, so I was right about it, and so were a lot of people on the internet, the Knight Abominant is pretty much a staple in every single list that I've looked at outside of the guy that brought 13 Armagers. So, Interesting.
0: Is that the Psycar one? Indeed it is. I thought. Yeah. Renegade Knights actually uh, showed up 13 times. So, they've definitely grown compared to their Imperial uh, counterparts, which only showed up four times on mid tables. So, um, but they're definitely growing over the last since Codex release. So, it'd just be a matter of time for us to see them more often.
1: Yep. I, and I, I really want to bring them to Smite Club. I really do. But at the same time, that can still its be best in faction. I know I'm not going to get it, but I can at least try.
2: <laughs> Honestly, I, I think um, the Imperial Knights Codex. And the army—it's going to be a little bit harder, at least as of now, for people to take get it to you know the the even in some cases mid to upper tables. It's not as straightforward, I would say, as the Chaos Knights Codex, because the Chaos Knights Codex is all about doing little things to upgrade your the arm you know the individual models, whereas the Imperial Knight Codex, it's all about having the right knights in the right place to affect the arvengers. Yeah,
0: from what I understand, the Perceptor guy actually now has like a, a bubble where he can improve the, the hit modifiers to the arvengers near them?
2: Well, in, in a sense, the Knight Perceptor has basically become a, a kind of chaplain. But each of the Questorus level knights, which are the the size that's the of the original, knight, like the paladin and such, um, with the exception of the perceptor, each one gives what they call bondsmen ability. So, uh, when it starts in the command phase, uh, each of these Questorus knights can do a bondsmen ability on one armiger, and it affects that armiger for the remain up, up until the the. Start of the next command phase for the player. So you've got like one that can give, um, basically double how many models it's considered to be for holding objectives. Um, reroll a hit and wound in shooting. Plus, you know, plus one to movement, things like that. So in a sense, it's a matter of you know using the the mid sized knights to give a little boost to the armiger.
1: Yeah, and. If you're playing Chaos Knights the same way, where it's a whole, it's a few big knights and a lot of armigers, the the knights have specific rerolls abilities. Like the Desecrators reroll once for shooting, and the Rampagers, the Gallant equivalent, has reroll once to hit in melee. So at that point, it's you can pivot to different kinds of army lists based on what knights you want to bring. Like, I'm messing around with the potential to bring a Desecrator, a Abominant, and then like seven armagers with a whole bunch of shooting in it, and then a few melee armagers to tie up loose ends. But otherwise, four big stompy robots all the way. We're going to do it. It's going to be fun. (laughs)
0: So let's see who stomped our way up to the top rankings of the ITC the, with big changes since the last time we reported on the ITC top 10. So here we go. In 10th place, a big tumble from the mid parts of the standings. Mike Porter now drops down to 10th place. Uh... Jason Seberham, uh comes into ninth place. Brenton Weiss uh, dropped also quite a few spots. He's now hanging in 8th place. Ben Jones went strong showing at the Birmingham Super GT coming in 7th. Anthony Birdsong coming in 6th. He was at an event this weekend as well. Uh, looks like uh, judging from the title, says, uh, that Bate Caesar might be uh, uh, moving out of the country. So uh, best of luck to him. Or maybe it was just a big joke and it just wasn't in on it. Uh, fifth place, Ennis Wilson uh, maintains his fifth spot. Fourth place, Thomas Ogden. Third place, Matt Robertson from the UK. Second place, Manny Chiba has finally been upset. He's brought down to second place with Vic Vijay, taking over the top spot with 1,307 points. So a lot of the big American events are now coming up. So I'll be curious to see if we can see some American players uh, be able to vault their ways into the top ten and start getting those points as all all these players who are currently in the top 10 have six events under their belts.
1: Yeah, it's definitely going to, I know season wise for us here in America, the overall sports, um, like the overall availability for us to do things to uh, Wayne's and whatnot. We get really busy during the fall though. And that's probably going to are when we're going to see a whole bunch of um, more american names kind of jump up like probably the art of war guys are probably going to leapfrog
0: a position or two absolutely so we got uh upcoming and we got bao
1: in two weeks is that correct no bay area open is in fact this upcoming weekend
0: it is this weekend okay so that the one that started it all for frontline gaming so that, that used to be one of the crown jewels of the west coast scene I kind of, it still really is. It just kind of got absorbed by LVO at this point. But mm-hmm. um, so that's this weekend. Always a great, good showing to see uh, the, the best talented from the, the west side of the country. And then a few more. We got it uh, first week of June. We've got another GW um, tournament. which we can curious to see what that brings. And uh, just like you said, the summer just keeps rolling on. Looks like this year we may also have the return of the Nova open this coming September first time in two years. So very excited to see that.
1: Yep. And so uh, two weeks from, so two weeks after BAO is when the Atlantic city open is. So that one's probably going to be a, uh, maybe an East coast name. We'll finally be able to skyrocket somewhere. Cause I don't know where all these people
0: live. Yeah, uh, we have not seen Sean Naden yet uh, really make an appearance on the tournament scene. That's right around his neck of the woods. Uh, same thing with Anthony Vanilla. He's another one of the top East Coast players from that area. So, haven't seen much of them this year. Be curious to see if they're able to make that work. Anthony Birdsongs is right across the border there in the, the Baltimore area. So, do we expect him to see him at the Atlantic City Open as well? But, yep. Yeah. It's going to be a
1: crazy run, like it always is, on at the end of the season, where people just try to get all of their sessions in for for the winter for the end of the season before they go to LVO.
0: Also, keep in mind that probably first week of August, we're looking at a new mission set. Uh, that's when the new uh, uh, Nephilim uh, book comes out. So, was it Nephilim or Nia? Ne- it was Nephilim. Nephilim, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so looking forward to see the the new secondaries as well as the radical change to how uh, command points are earned. Um, so that'd be good to see how certain lists will change.
1: Yep. Yeah, but otherwise, um, I will probably be posting more pictures tomorrow morning with hobby progress of the tyrant because of the fact that I took some time off because... As of yesterday, I turned a whopping 30 years old. I am now officially an old man.
0: (laughs) You've got a long ways to go, sir. But happy birthday as well. And uh, see if I can splice in my favorite uh, birthday song. Um, Many of you are like, where did that come from? So people always ask every year because we splice it in. It's actually from a Philadelphia kids show. And um, it's actually quite cute, a quite little change on the typical birthday song. But anyway,
1: happy birthday. Yes. The the preferred birthday song is literally just Daka 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 Daka. Anyway.
0: In this Oh, I just deleted it by mistake. Ah! <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yes, no, thank you for thank you for the birthday wishes. There it's go. it's been a wonderful wonderful time getting into this hobby and knowing for a fact I'll probably be doing it for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah. So, absolutely. So, Ray, any parting thoughts before we shut things down for this week? Yeah.
2: If you're one of the people whose armies isn't doing so well right now, I wouldn't worry about that. Don't jump ship. Stick with the army, you know, because it's not going to be that much longer, and there's going to be a big changeup.
0: With that, I'd like to add that I currently have a tier army up for sale. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, hang in there. Uh, change That's one thing uh, that is has definitely changed since 2016 is uh, the meta keeps changing. So many new releases, so much more interaction with Games Workshop in terms of balancing data slates. I mean, we used to not see anything from them for years so um in, there's only three or four codices a year if you didn't like the meta that's well that's tough tookies it's going to be like this for a while so that's the case here uh constantly changing new mission packs are definitely going to switch things up and um i really think yeah it there's some definitely some top dogs that are going to get knocked down a little bit and um but i still think that given the right pilot any given faction can win Uh, on a given Sunday so Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so with that um, my name's Eric I'm Raymond I'm Robert and thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast